That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest in, how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 118. It's titled, Should You Invest in Renewable Energy ETFs? I recently received an email from a UK-based listener named Mark, who finds my podcast good company during his long drives from Cambridge to the Midlands of England. And he wrote, I wondered whether you could share your thoughts on investing in the renewable and alternative energy sector. I use dollar cost averaging and buy and buy and hold index investing strategies focused almost entirely on index trackers following the SP 500, the FTSE 100, and sub-commodities. I recently bought a renewable energy ETF, my first sector-focused ETF. If I'm investing for the long term, I'm currently 33, how much exposure would you recommend I take to a certain sector like renewables, albeit spread across a number of securities in an exchange-traded fund? Are you bullish on renewables in the long run, 10 to 20 years? Well, I replied to his email, but I didn't answer his question. First off, I didn't have an answer. I needed to do some additional research. And from a regulatory standpoint, as you know, I'm not a registered investment advisor, so I can't answer specifically, I can't give investment-related answers to investment-related questions via email, as it could be construed as investment advice. So I told him, I'll do a podcast and write an article on the topic, and that's what I'm doing today. Now, why did I need to do additional research? Search? Why didn't I have a ready answer? Because in order to make money investing, it's not enough to be positive or bullish regarding some aspect of the economy, such as renewable energy. It isn't enough just to think things are going swimmingly well. What's important is what are the expectations embedded by the market in that sector. And if those expectations are extremely high, and if the sector falls short of those expectations, then investors can get harmed in terms of major losses. And we're going to see that that is exactly what occurred in the renewable energy space. Now, I'm bullish on the renewable energy sector as a sector, as the continued build-out of solar and wind and other renewables. Solar Energy recently got into the news. Tesla announced this week that they were merging with Solar City, both companies that have Elon Musk heavily involved in. And there was, a, there was a recent article just on that particular merger by Russ Mitchell and Samantha Mas, Masanga. Oh boy, I mispronounced that. Masanaga. Sorry about that. For the LA Times, it said the $2.6 billion all-stock deal announced Monday combines the prominent electric car company with the nation's largest provider of solar rooftop panels, creating a one-stop shop for clean energy customers. Size-wise, it's no huge deal. Conceptually, it's audacious. 
It aims to create a vertically integrated company with a nationwide network of retail stores that sells electric automobiles, rooftop solar panels, well wall-mounted storage units for backup power in the home, and electric charging stations that channel energy from the sun to the car, most of it manufactured by Tesla itself. How could you not be bullish about that vision? Is it a good investment? We'll see. Back in 2006, the the Twitter came out, and I I was an early user of Twitter. I think I got on Twitter in early 2007, and was very actively involved. And one of the the people that I follow that I interacted with a lot was a man named Gregor McDonald, and I was impressed by his background because he was writing about energy-related things. He was an independent journalist, but he had an MFA in creative writing from the University of Iowa Writers' Workshop. And so he has a background in writing, particularly, well, from Iowa Workshop, as I recall, is really renowned for its its fiction, literary fiction-type writers. And I, I think he's done some fiction writing, certainly done some teaching, but now he was focused on energy investing in the transition from coal and oil to renewables. And he's been a resource that I've I've turned to over the years. He saved me a lot of money at one point. My accountant had bought a couple of semi-trucks and trailers and were leasing them out to the oil fields in North Dakota and thought that would be a good idea for me. And I turned to Gregor and, and set up a call with them, and he pointed out some of the challenges. This was before the oil price collapsed, but he, he pointed out just what a madhouse that North Dakota oil fields were and the fact that with the fracking and how they would go after the oil, that how quickly the the oil within a particular well would trail off, and much, much faster than a typical oil well, let's say, in the Permian Basin in, in Texas. And, and he had some other warnings that I don't remember, but I, I decided not to do that and turned out, turned out to be a good decision because the, the, with the oil prices falling, trucks are sitting empty. I know my accountant has sent, I think, his to Texas to try to get them working, but it would have been a really challenging investing. But Gregor does, well, I watched a video by him a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned Real Vision TV as a source that I'm using to, to get access to experts. Now, this happens to be an expert that I know and I've interacted with. Well, he was doing a video on his vision of energy. And you can access that, that video. You can give it a try by going to realvisiontv.com forward slash money. You can get a seven-day free tra- trial. If you like it, you can get 20 20- percent off the subscription rate. When I introduced Real Vision a couple weeks ago, I mentioned they didn't take a credit card to do the trial. They corrected me and said, no, we actually have to input a credit card. But if you don't like it after seven days, you cancel and you're not billed. But I watched the video and he had a series of charts and forecast. And his newsletter that he writes is called TerraJewel.us. And, but he was showing the growth in global energy capacity, particularly for solar, and how solar 
it was 3% of global energy capacity in 2014, and it's expected to grow to 18% in the year 2022. Now, global energy capacity is different than global energy production. As utility-scale solar plants can only produce when the sun is shining. Consequently, solar energy production is expected to go from 0.7% in 2014 to 3.6% in 2022. Now, that, that might not seem like much, except that if you look at that chart, you'll see that by 2022, what's not growing are non-solar energy sources, so natural gas and oil, coal, that it, that it plateaus in terms of utilities use. And that starts to impact some of the fundamentals because if it just plateaus, then there's not growth. And it reminds me of a quote. Back in 2013, Jeremy Grantham, who is at the firm GMO, he's been one of my investing mentors for years, he used to invest with his firm in the timber space. And he, he wrote an, an entire newsletter on renewables and, and what's occurring there. And while I couldn't find the actual newsletter online, I found an article that quoted him that I'll link to in the show notes. And it says, even in the expected event that there are no important breakthroughs in the cost of nuclear power, the potential for alternative, alternative energy sources, mainly solar and wind power, to completely replace coal and gas for utility generation is globally is, I think, certain. The question is only whether it takes 30 years or seven years that, will re- that we will replace oil for land transportation with electricity or fuel cells derived indirectly from elect- electricity is also certain. And there perhaps the timing question is whether this will take 20 or 40 years. So he's saying solar and wind and perhaps nuclear can will completely replace oil and natural gas and coal in terms of utility generation. And, and, and he's saying 40 to 70 years. But before you actually totally replace it, you, you get to a point where it's not growing. And, and coal is to the point where it's not growing. Gregor McDonald pointed out that the resurgence in coal that we saw over the past decade was due to China coming online with coal plants. And that single-handedly, that, that increased demand for coal from China really had a huge impact in, in the coal industry. But the rapid acceleration of coal in China created huge issues with pollution. Grantham goes on to say, I have felt for some time that new investments today in coal and tar sands are highly likely to become stranded assets. And everything I have seen in the last year particularly increases my confidence. China especially is escalating rapidly in its drive to limit future pollution from coal and gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles. Increased smog last year in major cities led to an unprecedented level of general complaint. China simply can't afford to have Chinese and foreign business leaders leaving important industrial areas in order to protect the health of themselves and their families. Nor are they likely to be comfortable with a high level of sustained complaint from the general public. So that was back in 2013. There was an article this year in the MIT Technology Review by Richard Martin 
titled China is on an epic solar power binge. And it says, quote, it's worth taking a minute to appreciate the sheer scale what China is doing in solar right now. In 2015, the country added more than 15 gigawatts gigawatts of new solar capacity, surpassing Germany as the world's largest solar power market. China now has 43.2 gigawatts of solar capacity compared to 38.4 gigawatts in Germany, 27.8 in the United States. And they're planning on adding 15 to 20 gigawatts of solar capacity each year. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com slash david. netsuite.com slash david. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. All this demand and the increased efficiency in producing solar panels and other technology related to to solar has caused problems. Prices to plummet. Solar panels plummeted from $3.50 per watt of power in 2005. This is the production cost, not the installed cost, which is higher. It was $3.50 in 2005. It's close to $0.50 cents today. And as a result, the cost of building utility-scale solar plants has declined and will continue to do so, allowing much of the new power-generating capacity to be added by utilities to be solar. According to TerraJoule or Gregor McDonald, utility-scale solar plant installation costs have fallen from $200 per megawatt hour in 2010 to $50 today. The cost of home installation of solar panels has also fallen precipitously and will continue to do so. So all this should be good news for solar companies and their stocks, correct? No. 
For investing, what matters is not how fast an economic sector is growing, but how fast it is growing relative to investor expectations. In other words, investors in renewable energy companies need to understand what growth prospects are priced into that sector's securities and what is the likelihood that the companies will exceed those expectations. Because if the companies fall short, then the securities can get decimated if expectations are too high. In the solar energy space, companies have consistently fallen short of expectations as profits have been erratic. Consequently, investors have paid dearly. For example, the largest exchange-traded fund in the alternative energy space is the Guggenheim Solar ETF. The The ticket symbol or the stock symbol is TAN. This is a pure play solar energy investment and invests in solar energy stocks around the world. It's concentrated. The ETF has only 26 holdings. It was launched in April 2008 as the appetite for renewable energy stocks was voracious. In 2007, the average gain for solar stocks was over 200%. In 2008, with the global financial crisis, solar stocks got crushed, just like many investments. The Guggenheim Solar ETF declined approximately 65% from its IPO price. Now, it rebounded a little bit in 2009, but the period from 2009 through 2012 or 2012 saw that ETF decline another 79%. Then solar stocks roared back to life in 2013. The Guggenheim Solar ETF gained 128% that year. But since 2013, solar stocks have come up short once again. The Guggenheim Solar ETF fell another 38% from year in 2013 through today. Since its inception then, in April 2008 through June 30th, 2016, the Guggenheim Solar ETF has returned negative 24% annualized. What has hurt solar stocks? Well, it's the simple law of supply and demand. While demand for solar panels has skyrocketed, capacity to produce solar panels has increased by even more. There is a research report by Credit Suisse, came out earlier this year, March of 2016. I'll link to it in the show notes. You've already got those links along with a summary article in your weekly email the day that this podcast episode was released. If you'd like to get access to my insider's guide, which will send you that valuable content. You can do that by signing up at moneyfortherestofus.net or text the word insider to the number 44222 if you're a US, U.S.-based listener. So this Credit Suisse report was several pages on the solar. And here, here's their leading quote. We believe solar manufacturers face an exacerbated, oversupplied environment in 2016. We tabulate the industry is planning on adding 10 gigawatt cell capacity to an already oversupplied market, while we estimate demand only increases 6.1 gigawatts. Too much supply, even though demand is high. Credit Suisse estimates demand for solar panels will increase at a 14.6% compound annual growth rate from 2015 
2020. Yet, if supply of panels grows faster than demand, as they are expected to do this year, then producers' profit margins will be squeezed, hurting profits. The alternative energy space has been plagued by too high of investor expectations. The average five-year annualized return for the top eight alternative energy ETFs, those that are issued in the U.S., even though they invest globally, the average five-year annualized return was negative 4.8% for, this is the five-year period ending June 30th, 2016. That compares to a 12.1% annualized return for the S&P 500 index and 5.4% for the MSCI All-Country World Index. So, alternative energy ETFs have trailed the U.S. stock market by 15 percentage points annualized, actually almost 16, 17% percentage points annualized, and they've trailed the global stock market by over 10 percentage points annualized over a five-year period. Now, one of the things I did uh, as part of this, this research to answer Mark's question was just look at what, what are the options. And so I, I put together a summary sheet that I shared with Insider Guide members of those top eight ETFs. It shows the expense ratio, number of holdings, how concentrated they are in terms of the top 10 or the percentage in the top 10, the amount of assets, their top technology, their top holdings, their top country, and the valuations. What's the price-to-earnings ratio, the price-to-book, and what index are they tracking and their five-year return? And this was just sort of a summary sheet. If you want to go ahead and get it, if you're not a member of the Insider's Guide so you haven't gotten it, you can text the word renewable, singular, so R E. N-E-W-A-B-L-E, renewable, to the number 44222, and you'll immediately get that summary sheet so you can look at it as, as I'm discussing it here. And the takeaway from it is that I man, the, the average return is negative 4.8% for the five years, but the worst was Guggenheim Solar ETF that I've talked about. That was down 18% annualized over the past five years. The best return was for the, actually the wind energy index did better, up 5.4% annualized over the past five years. But if you look at how it's done since inception, it's also negative. And so wind is, and recently has held up better than solar. Now, when you look at these ETFs, some of the ETFs are solar-based, so they're pure play solar, they're pure, pure play wind, but there's some that are more clean tech. And so it, it has not just energy related, but things related to energy. So a little more diversified. Surprising variety in price to earnings ratio. So some of the clean tech and, and clean energy, their PEs were over 20. Whereas when we look at the, the solar, the, the price to earnings ratio of the Guggenheim solar ETF is point. Three. That compares to a price-to-earnings ratio of 20 for the MSCI All-Country World Index. The solar ETF's price-to-book ratio, so price-to-book essentially is what is, what is the, the value of the stock relative to the book value of the equity on the accounting books of the particular company, or the, in this case the ETF, it's 1.0 compared to 2.0 for the Acqui benchmark. Yet, when we look at the PowerShare's Cleantech Portfolio ETF, which was 
has a price to book ratio of almost three. So the, the question is, has disappointing performance for alternative energy investing lowered investors' expectations? It certainly seems so in the solar energy space. When you look at a PE of, of le- more than half or less than half of what the market overall is selling for and price to book half to what it is selling for, it, it raises the question, you know, perhaps it is the time to invest in solar energy. I don't know. It's tempting. It's tempting because expectations are much lower. And after an asset class has returned negative 24% annualized for five years, or actually since inception, and negative 18% annualized for five years, it, it tends to disappoint. And, and one, one reason you're a value manager is because investors, or if you're a value investor, investors believe bad times will continue indefinitely. And certainly Credit Suisse is predicting bad times will continue in the solar space at least for the next couple years due to overcapacity, even as the industry continues to get built out. So Mark's question was, how much should he invest in this type uh, of sector ETF? And there's just not a right answer. I'm a very conservative investor. And, and so if I look to invest in solar, and, and it's tempting to invest in the Guggenheim Solar ETF, it's, I would probably invest less than 1% of my net worth because I just that's the type of investor. This is, this is a very concentrated 26 holdings. I'd put about 1% of my investment in there in terms of how much should mark. I think most investors should be broadly diversified by by broad-based ETF and index funds like he is, primarily buy and hold like he, like he is. But it's sometimes it's fun and it's interesting to kind of make one of these side bets on something that's gotten beat up that looks attractive. And perhaps you put 1%, 2%, 3% and recognize it's going to be highly volatile, highly cyclical, and you're going to hold it for hopefully many years. So don't you don't panic if it falls another 30% or more as because it's it's certainly possible it's down 30% year to date. Perhaps it'll go down even further. And so that that's my perspective on how much and and I'm going to give it some more thought, but I'll more than likely cuz since I did this episode anyway, I did all the research, I'll probably take a position after the episode is released and we'll go from there. So that is episode 118, Should You Invest in Renewable Energy ETFs? Show notes are at moneyfortherestofus.net. If you want to get access to the summary sheet of alternative energy ETFs, sign up for my insider's guide. You can do that at moneyfortherestofus.net or text the word renewable to the number 44222. I mentioned the interview with Gregor McDonald, which I watched on Real Vision TV. You can access Real Vision TV by going to realvisiontv.com and you can get 20% off the subscription rate by going to realvisiontv.com forward slash money. And of course, I'll get some type of modest commission if you do join and you find that you like this Netflix of financial videos that Raul Paul and his founders have put together. If you would like additional help in terms of your investing 
and your asset allocation. You can get that at the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. This is a premium membership site where I act as your investing mentor, where members are asking me questions, and I'm I'm not answering them in email directly because I'm not a registered investment advisor, but I answer them to the group. We we do a weekly premium podcast episode that I answer questions and I can provide help. There's a forum there. There are asset allocation tools in terms of figuring out what your portfolio should be. There are model portfolios, if you would like, and to know which specific ETFs you should hold in their weights. You can try it out for a month or try it out for a year and get 15% off. So that's at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, in the economy. Have a great week.